0: Let's begin with a word of prayer. My prayer this morning, Father, is a simple one, that you would give me a heart for your word and a word for our hearts. Amen. The passage of scripture we just read is called John's Prologue. He wants us to know that Jesus did not arrive on the scene at Christmas, but he was part of the Godhead before the beginning of time. And he uses really, Specific words to let us know that. One of the words is Logos, the Word, and the other is Light. And He wants us to know that before the beginning of time, when God made the world, and He made the world in the image that He wanted it to be, Jesus was there. Now, we've been talking about the promises of Advent, the promise of heaven, the promise of a salvation, the promise of a Savior, and today's promise is Light in the Darkness. God's perfect creation for which Jesus was present at the beginning has been tainted by sin. That's what we spent the last three weeks talking about. It's been tainted by sin. It is no longer the creation that God wanted it to be. And the only way to dispel that darkness is to send his light into the world. Jesus comes as the word... I can do this. Jesus comes as the word to bring light into the world. Now, what is light? You know me. I've I've got to ask these questions. So Stephen Hawking, the world-famous physicist, talked about light, and he said, and I want you to hear this from a non-believer. He said light is the ultimate constant in the universe. It travels at 186,000 miles a second. That is unfathomable to me. That's why we measure things in light years, because the speed of light never changes. Not through the objects that it's traveling, the density, water, air, vacuum. It travels at the same speed wherever it goes. And what does light do? It brings us warmth, it brings us illumination. It can travel with information now. You've all seen the Fios fiber optic commercials. And it brings us energy. Now, Stephen Hawking said that, but God knew that since the beginning of time. When he called Jesus the light, imagine he called Jesus the ultimate constant in the universe, bringing us illumination and warmth and wisdom. What a great gift. In fact, John in his gospel refers to Jesus as the light 21 times. He wants us to get the message. That in this world of darkness, God has sent his light to shine. The other thing that Stephen Hawking would want you to know is this. Light cannot be measured by anything else. You know, when you were in high school, you had like or as, as metaphors, right? Light is like, you can't do it. It is immeasurable by other things. It, is, it cannot be defined over and against anything else. Now, like we talked about in the children's sermon, and I'm still hoping for a lightsaber for Christmas, right? That the, the world would like us to believe that light and dark are even and that there's this constant battle going on and then sometimes dark wins and sometimes light wins. And I'm here to tell you, and I want you to think about this, if you're in a completely dark room, the light will dispel the darkness. The darkness cannot dispel the light. Think about that. If you light a candle or a flashlight or a light bulb, the darkness does not gang up on it and make it go away. It cannot dispel. The darkness defends. Now you're probably saying, really doc? Yes. I was a kid. I was afraid of the dark in bed. You get into bed at night. Mom kisses you, close the doors. You know there's monsters under the bed or in the closet. And then the, the, sun, the moon would reflect and you had all those strange shapes on your wall. Children live in terror of the dark. So what do the parents do? They plug in a nightlight. And it defends you from the monsters under the bed and the scary things on the wall. Light can defend us. And I want you to hear this. Light defeats the darkness. I'm not talking in Star Wars terms. I'm talking about the fact that when you get in your car, and I don't know about you, and... You're going to the gym at, say, 5.30 in the morning. Not that anybody in this room would be crazy enough to do that. And you get on your little lane to go out to catch the main road. And you're thinking, it's dark out. What happened? And then you realize, ah 5.30 in the morning, I'm not at my best. I forgot to put the headlights on and whoosh. It totally, let me get the word right, it totally defeats the darkness. I can now see where I'm going. Now, I'm still not entirely used to driving in the middle of nowhere, which is what I like to tell Vicky where we live, because there's only really one good restaurant in our town, and I miss all the restaurants in Voorhees. But there are deer on the side of the road, and I forget sometimes to put on the high beans, and this nice little voice goes, wouldn't you like to put your high beams on now? Why? Because not only does it dispel, defend, or defeat, it destroys the darkness, right? I hit those high beams, and now I can see the cute little furry creatures on both sides of the road. And I want you to think all the way back to Genesis 1.1. God said, let there be light. And there was light. And then we don't talk about this, but it says it was good. God said, let there be light, there was light, and it was good. Why? Because God wants to dispel, defend, defeat, and destroy darkness for us. I, I don't know if you see the teenagers like to wear the yin and yang symbol from, from China. It's a little circle, and it's got a squiggle down the middle, and half is white and half is black, and on the white side there's a black dot, on the black side there's a white dot. And that says that the whole world needs to be in balance similar to our Star Wars analogy. And I'm here to tell you that the world is not balanced. In fact, the world shouldn't be balanced. We should all be living on which side? The light side. Now, when I taught psychology at the college, we had a whole chapter on what's called perception. I, I, I have all these odd facts stored in my head. If you were at Coffee House last night, you saw how many odd facts I have stored in my head. So one drop of perfume can be smelled, smelled, smelt in a three-bedroom apartment, three-room apartment, one drop. So ladies, if you're putting on more than one drop, you're overdoing it. And one candle, MIT studied this, one candle on a hill, 30 miles, 30 miles, one candle, now, That's why Jesus says, when you have a candle, don't do what? Don't put it under a bishel. He says, put it in a lampstand where everyone can see. And who was the original candle? The light of the world. Now, if you're thinking, if you, now I'm teasing here, but if you haven't bought my Christmas gift yet, you might want to get me a Lego Mindstorm. Now, I don't really want one of these, but they're really cool. Lego just doesn't make figures now. They make robots and you can plug in your Lego robot to your computer and teach it to do things. And one of the things the Lego Mindstorm robot can do is you install a light sensor, you turn out the lights of the room and it will follow a flashlight wherever you go around the room. Okay, ladies, don't participate, but men, who thinks that would be a cool toy to play with? I'm in. Now, here's what happens, you have to turn out the lights And then you run the flashlight around the floor and the robot will follow wherever the light goes. But every now and again, the robot loses the light. And then it just keeps going in the last direction that saw the light until it hits the wall. And it won't change direction until the light goes and finds it. Sometimes we're like mind store Lego robots, aren't we? We've lost the light. Maybe we're drowning in debt. Maybe we're wiped out by worry, frustrated by family. Maybe we're engulfed by emotion or flooded with fear. And it feels like we're stuck in the darkness. And what does God do? He sends the light to find us. Now, when I was in seminary, my friends would say, that'll preach. He sent the light to find us. Now, my good friend, Bob, who I don't think many of you have met, best man at my wedding, he would like to tell you that flashlights are for storing dead batteries. That's his favorite joke. He says, you know what a flashlight's for? Storing dead batteries. And we all have that drawer at home, don't we, with the flashlights in it and dead batteries. But I have two stories for you, because light is the ultimate constant that I want you to think about. The first one is told by Lucy Swindoll, Chuck Swindoll's wife. She had a friend who was on an elevator in a building with several people and the power went out to the entire building and the people in the elevator were in utter darkness. And first everybody chuckled a little bit and then they got uncomfortable and the anxiety began to build and they were almost to the point of panic And her friend remembered that in the bottom of her purse, she had one of those little flashlight key things that you used to find the front door lock. And she took it out and she lit it and it illuminated the darkness in the elevator. And she said they all sat down and they had like a little campfire and they laughed and they told jokes and they sat in the darkness in the elevator illuminated by that one little light for about 45 minutes. It took him from panic to praise. Now the other story is a true story. Judith Carrick was a visiting deacon. Now I I need you to know that she was a Methodist. And Methodists have two levels of ordination, deacon and elder. And she was called to a ministry of visiting. And she went to a nursing home and she developed a a relationship with the lady. And they, they don't put the lady's name in the story for her privacy. But as time went by, she lost the ability to move and she lost the ability to talk, but her mind was still as sharp as it could be. And she and Judith formed a bond and they visited through hand motions and pointing and, you know, asking questions, blink your eyes, give me a thumbs up. They had a friendship. One day, Judith came in and the woman was decidedly agitated and she kept pointing in her bed and Judith went over to the bed and on a a dinner napkin was drawn a picture of a flashlight and she looked at the lady and she said you want a flashlight and the lady nodded and she said what why and the lady went with her wheelchair racing down the hall to the nurse's station and she pointed at Judith and she pointed the flashlight animatedly and the nurse went oh she said I understand He said, we lost power last week and Judith was alone in her room in the dark. And she never wants to be without the light again. So you know what Judith did? She bought her a flashlight. So there are four promises of Advent. God wants to be with you. That's the promise of heaven. God has a plan to restore you into your broken relationship. That's salvation. The relationship says do. The Savior says done. God provided a Savior. That's our third promise. And the fourth promise, into a dark, desperate, desolate world came the ultimate constant. To purchase, ransom, redeem, and restore us to fellowship with God. What does that look like? One last story. The story is told of a very wealthy man who liked to travel with his son. And his son and he had a great love for art. And as I said at the beginning of the story, he was a wealthy man. He could afford good art. And his son and he filled their house with the most beautiful works of art from all around the world. When the son became a young man, a a war broke out and he felt called to serve and he joined the army. And then the father got the message that no father wants to get, that his his son had passed during the war, but that he had passed saving the lives of the other men in his unit. The father was devastated. Here he was in a house where on every wall was a reminder of the love that he and his son shared for each other and for great beauty. One day there was a knock at the door and it was one of the soldiers from his platoon and he had a portrait for the dad and he shared with him that his son had talked about the love for art and the love that they had for each other and that one of the guys in the platoon was a painter and had painted a portrait of his son. It certainly wasn't on the quality of a a Dutch master or a Michelangelo, but it, it captured the essence of his son. And you could tell that the person who painted it knew the person in the picture. So he hung it over his mantle and it was one of his favorite works of art. And he would sit sometimes at night and just enjoy the painting and miss his son. And the day came when God called the Father to be home. And what a reunion that must have been when he met his son in heaven. But there were things to be dealt with on earth. And the lawyer opened the will and the will said, please auction all of these works of art. And the word went out that this great collection of art was going to be auctioned. And people came from around the world to buy these great works of art. And the auctioneer went up to the podium and he unveiled the first artwork. And it was the portrait of his son. Well, nobody had ever really seen this picture. Nobody knew who it was by. It was an unknown, and they started shouting, bring out the good stuff, bring out the real artworks. And the auctioneer said, no, this is the first one. He said, what am I bid? And one guy, just out of a joke, said, ah, the dollar. And another said five, and another said 10. And the auctioneer waited, going once, going twice, sold for $10. Then he closed up his auctioneer's book, and he left the podium. And everybody said, What about the rest of the art? And he said, Well, it's written in the Father's will. He who chooses the Son receives everything. That's D. My favorite question on, a, on an answer on a college test is D all of the above. You get heaven, you get salvation, you get the Savior, you get the light of the world. Why? just because you chose the Son. Now, if today you have never chosen to enter into a relationship with our Savior, Jesus Christ, during the last hymn, I'm going to ask that you come forward and and take a spot in the first two pews because our deacons and our elders, our pastors would love to pray with you and welcome you into that relationship. If you're convicted that you need to re- restore your relationship with God. That you are like the little robot and you've lost the light. You know what the light does, you know what the light is, but for whatever reason, you have lost the light. Again, during the last hymn, we're going to leave the first two pews open and come forward and pray with one of our deacons or elders. And last, if, knowing that the light is in this world has challenged you to stir up into a new strata of service, a new place of serving God, a position in the church, a ministry that's on your heart, something that says, I need to reflect that light into my world. Then again, we would love to pray with you, and the first two pews are open. Amen.